All right, can I ask you to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse number 8. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. Let me encourage you today to make use of the outline that you have on the desk near you. As you can see, it's a little bit longer than usual, yes? We have over 20 points to cover, so... Um, <laughs> Please don't blame me for this. Peter wrote this. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to cover the information that he's given us. Some sermons are meant to, the, the word we now use is to be uplifting, right? Uplifting. The biblical word for this is exhorting. And uh, you always need that. There's always a place for that. Some sermons, however, are meant to be more instructional, and I think this sermon is going to fall into that category. Today, as you can see, we're going to be discussing the frightening reality of false prophets. And when we speak about false prophets, you can call them preachers, teachers. They can also be called church members. Not all of them occupy a pulpit. We're talking about... Is somebody else trying to preach? <laughs> Is, it, it was that Siri. Is Siri trying to preach? <laughs> okay. Siri doesn't have a say in this. Uh, Jesus put it like this, that they are, are wolves in sheep's clothing, right? And they can occupy any place, the pew or the pulpit. So Second Peter chapter 2, let's read just one verse before we, by the grace of God, go through the entire chapter. Verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And I want to focus in the beginning on that first part. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly. If you would bow your heads with me, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive right in to the multiple things we need to cover. Father, thank you this morning that we're allowed to gather Thank you that we can not only sing the Bible stands, but we can take our stand on the Bible, for the Bible, and we're not persecuted for it. We're allowed to preach about it. We're allowed to live it. And Lord, help us to take advantage of this great freedom, this liberty that we have. Help us as we cover this subject this morning. Please prepare the hearts of your people to hear what needs to be said this morning. We ask for your help, for your blessing, for your presence, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're preaching through Second Peter. I gave you chapter 1 last week about the furtherance of your faith. By the grace of God, next week we'll talk about the fact of Jesus' second coming. And it's very tempting when we come to a chapter like Second Peter 2 to simply skip over it because it's not a very popular topic to give an entire sermon just about false teachers. As I mentioned previously, it's not very uplifting, but extremely necessary. I want you to see, and the reason I started with verse 9, I want you to see the, the heart of Peter. Why did he write this chapter? This is not a smear campaign. This is not Peter's attempt. This is not my attempt at being ugly towards other people. Peter as well as myself, they were concerned about, he was concerned about his brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't want them to get confused and led astray by the multitude of false teachers and preachers that were among the people. You can see that God does have a plan for delivering his people 
from these temptations, the testing of their faith. There, there is a way to get victory over this. And that's the heart behind this. Not to simply condemn others and talk down of others, but if Peter takes an entire chapter, if you read the Gospels, Jesus on multiple occasions warned the people of false teachers and preachers, wouldn't it be smart then if we took heed and said if they devoted so much time and attention to it, evidently we should also pay attention to this subject. It, it must be of the utmost importance. You can see in verse number two, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Pernicious means destructive. Many shall follow them. Well, if that's the case, if they are going to be so good at what they do, then we really need to be on the ball, as they say. Jesus said it like this, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Jesus brought it to our attention. He said they will be wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not easy to detect, and therefore we need maybe 12 different things that will help us to figure out what a false teacher is, how they act, what they believe, what they say. When I lived in Malawi, one of the uh, custom, I don't want to call it a custom. I don't think it's a custom. Let's say a behavior. One of the behaviors that I found most strange was how a Malawian interacted with moving traffic. I'm talking about cars on a highway. It wasn't fascinating. It was frightening. <laughs> they would get to the edge of the road, and I kid you not, 99 times out of 100, they would not, they would not look left and right. They would just go. I even, I developed a little saying, the Malawians learned it. I think it is now an official Malawian proverb. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you in the original language. Malawians do not fear vehicles. They only fear the rain. <laughs> they do. When it rains, they run for the hills. They're scared to pieces of the rain. I don't know why, but they are. But when it comes to fast-moving cars, no problems. They'll walk in the middle, right into the middle of a busy street and expect the cars to hit the brakes and stop. Now you say, yo, Brother Mike, don't they get hit often? Yes. <laughs> you would think that that would solve it, but it doesn't. So why bring that up? I fear that spiritually a lot of people behave the same way. They, they step up to this busy highway that we call religion and there are preachers and teachers and doctrines just blowing past us left and right and without checking, we step into the middle of this busy spiritual religious street not aware that you're about to get T-boned or sideswiped and it can completely overthrow your, either your soul or your walk with Christ. You say, Brother Mike, are there a lot of Christians being hit by these spiritual cars? Yes. And it's painful to see this happening. It is a frightening reality, but we must deal with it. I'm sure that you've seen this as you drive down a busy highway. You'll get behind a semi-truck, and there'll be a sticker on the back. And I think some other, other vehicles use this. It says, report bad driving. You ever seen that? I have been so tempted so many times, but then I think it's not worth my phone call, but report bad driving. That's what I'm going to try to do today. I'm, I'm going to try to report 
bad driving. I want to do it biblically. I want to just give you what Peter said about these false teachers. Understand my heart, please. This isn't a smear campaign. I'm not trying to mudsling. I preached last week about faith, what it truly is. It is Jesus explaining God to us. It's God's revelation to us. We have to accept that faith. Then we need to further that faith, yes? And then we talked about the facilitator or the funneling of your faith, which is the Scriptures. How do I know I have the right faith? How do I know that I'm growing properly? You have a Bible whereby you can check these things. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, Christians for the last almost 2,000 years have put in a lot of work so that you and I can have the faith and go further with it. I don't want to see that wasted. I don't want to see you or I take that privilege lightly. We have an opportunity to know God and become more like Christ, and I don't want to see any false teacher or teaching undo what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your heart and life for, what, months, years? I don't want to see that undone. Please take this as it's intended as a loving father who would tell his child, listen, booty, sissy, if somebody pulls up next to you in a car and says, hey, come here with a big smile and tells you funny jokes and says nice things and I like your shirt and you're a beautiful child and offers you candy, please don't get in the car. That's dangerous. This man will come to you with good words and fair speeches and offer you something sweet and it is poisonous. And you get into that car and it might be the last time you ever have a free moment in your life. That's the heart behind this. With that being said, can we jump right into this? Point number one, description of the false prophets. Description of the false prophets. As you can see, I'm going to give you 12 different things. And I've already mentioned, blame Peter, not me. I, all of these things are mentioned in the chapter. Number one. Description of the false prophets. Number one, there is a surplus, S-U-R-P-L-U-S, a surplus of false teachers. If you could let your eyes trail back to the end of chapter one, can I begin with you there? It says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter has drawn our attention to old time. This is how it used to be. And these holy men, they're the prophets. They spake at God's behest. But chapter 2, verse 1, you see on the heels of saying that, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. When I say there is a surplus of false teachers, what do I mean? There are many of them. Go back, read the Old Testament, and look at the ratio. Anytime God called a man to stand and preach and say, thus saith the Lord, how many preachers stood on the other side and said, that's not what God said? You just look at the ratio. It's always a multitude against the minority. Always. And the man of God speaking the truth is every single time, every single time, he's in the minority. The great, I think the best illustration of this, isn't it Elijah? And the prophets of Baal, I mean, there's one versus 450. 
And that gives you an idea of the surplus, the multitude of false teachers that we can expect. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when they asked him about the end of the world and the signs of his coming, he said, many false Christs, many false teachers will stand up. Paul said that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, Peter, he's going to give us I believe in this chapter, the worst case scenario of a false teacher, the worst case scenario. However, I, I want just for a moment to talk about four different categories that you can put all preachers in. Now, these categories, I think sometimes can bleed together. You might make some subcategories out of this, but every preacher will fall into one of these four categories. The reason we need this is because there's so many false teachers. How do we categorize them? Because not all are as bad as others. So they're, they're on different levels. Number one, if you want to make a side note on your paper, I haven't given you any blank slots on the outline for this, but number one, somebody can be a heretic, that's a false teacher, and he knows it, and he preaches it anyway. That is, he knows it's a lie, but his conscience is so seared, he doesn't care. He's going to purposely lie and cheat the people so that he can get what he wants. Now, that, of course, is as bad as it gets. I think that's what Peter's addressing in this chapter. But then there's a second category. There are heretics that don't know that they're heretics. They're teaching something incorrect. It's not biblical, but in their heart, they are sincerely convinced that it's right. They believe that they're helping when in fact they're actually doing more harm than good. This man, I, I, would, I would say, is dangerous because he's sincere, but he's sincerely wrong. And then number three, here's another category. You have some preachers that are fundamentally right, but secondarily wrong. So what do you mean by that? To be fundamentally right, you believe the big things correctly. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again. You believe in the inspiration of the Bible, the big things. But then there are some secondary issues that maybe you put the wrong emphasis on or are confused about things that may not overthrow a person's salvation right it wouldn't cost them their soul but it may confuse them as they try to walk with Christ and then lastly I think this is the category anybody should aim for you have preachers that are scripturally sound both fundamentals and secondarily everything that they teach can be supported biblically now on that category let me be careful to point out every single human being is fallible that is, he is capable of mistake. Every human being still needs to continue to learn. So even the man that is scripturally sound, never, never should he get to the point of saying, everything I believe is absolutely right. You can't teach me anything. I'm not going to listen to anything anyone else has to say because I'm right. Well, in, in so saying, you've just become wrong because the proper biblical attitude is to be humble and teachable. Right? So I'm going to keep my ears open even if I am scripturally convinced. I would need for you to offer a very strong scriptural argument to change, but I will stay open to learning. I believe that's the right attitude for that fourth category. And as I've said, these categories can bleed into each other a little bit. Let me show you in verse 1 why I think these categories are legitimate. It says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in 
damnable heresies. Do you see that word damnable heresies? Not all heresies, which is a false teaching, not all heresies are created equal. Some are more dangerous than others. You see here, Peter is talking about damnable heresies. That is, if you were to believe one of these things, it could cost you your soul. If somebody's not saved and gets confused about how salvation works, then they could end up damned for all eternity. Let me give you a few examples. One that you should know from the Bible. Paul and the other apostles struggled with this false teaching in their day. They had to teach against it all the time. They, they taught that you had to be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved, that you had to essentially become Jewish. It is the equivalent of today's teaching of, of the Hebrew roots movement. But back in, in the biblical times, this was known as Judaism or Judaizers. Let's put it that way, Judaizers. Folks, it's just not true. You don't have to be Jewish in order to be saved. And Paul, he actually wrote the entire book of Galatians just to prove that point. Let me move forward into our time. There are some that teach you must be baptized in water in order to be saved. They teach that the waters of baptism actually cleanse your sins. Folks, that's just not true. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus not the water of the Pachastrum municipality system. Pilate tried to wash away the innocent blood of Christ from his hands, but the water could not help him, could it? There are those that teach by sprinkling a baby, you make that baby part of God's covenant. That is not a scriptural teaching. And potentially, I understand some parents have good intentions when they do that. Please understand, I, under, I know that there are levels to this. But there are those that to this day believe they are a Christian because when they were a baby, they got sprinkled. And that made them part of the Eitherkissen, the elect. And now I'm part of the covenant because of that. Never have they personally made a decision to follow Christ. And therefore, that teaching can become a damnable heresy. There are some and many that teach Jesus came to give us the abundant life. But what do they mean when they say that? They mean that Jesus died and to overcome the devil because the devil is trying to oppress you. God wants to make you rich, healthy, happy, prosperous, and that's the point of receiving Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you'll be happy and healthy and, and rich and all of your dreams will come true. They're not receiving Jesus as their Savior. They're receiving Jesus as their servant. That's a damnable heresy. It certainly can be. There are some that teach because Jesus died, we are all God's children automatically. Jesus died and paid for everybody's sins, so now everybody's saved. They say there is no need to be born again. We're all God's children. Folks, that's a damnable heresy. You have to first recognize your lost condition, then receive Christ as your new life to be born again. This idea is what they call universalism, to say we're all automatically saved because Jesus died. He did die for all, but then everybody has the responsibility to receive what Jesus did. Damnable heresies. There are multiple heresies because there are multiple false teachers. Some are not as serious as others. We recognize that. But we should be aware that these false teachings are blowing past us left and right 
Number two, in verse one, I wanna show you another word. And this will be sub point two on your outline. The first thing is there's a surplus. The second thing, they are subtle. You can write in on sub point two, subtle. In the verse it says, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Privately, I'm focusing on that word. I'm gonna use the word subtle. Maybe you could put in the word sneaky. They are subtle. The word subtle means making use of clever and indirect methods to achieve something. Here's another way to say it. They'll look good on the outside, but on the inside they have ulterior motives. They're not gonna let you know what they're actually trying to accomplish, but on the outside, good words, fair speeches. They speak perfect Christianese. <laughs> they're, they're fluent in speaking Christianese. And they sound like the real deal, but Jesus said, you know them by their fruits. You have to go beyond that outward appearance. They're very subtle. They privately bring in these damnable heresies. The verse ends by saying, even denying the Lord that bought them. So instead of receiving the Jesus that we find in the Bible, they deny that Jesus and they offer people another Jesus. It says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. We'll talk more about that later. Verse two, we find the next subpoint. It says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So they will claim to be part of uh, Christendom and thereby give it a bad name. Here's the third thing on your list, stardom, stardom, stardom. What do I mean by that? It says many shall follow their ways. They'll be popular. They'll be popular. They will achieve stardom. And because they are so popular and have so many followers, the simple conclusion is look at how many people follow them. They must be right. They have 50,000, 100,000 people that watch their YouTube channel. They have 10,000 people that pile into the stadium each Sunday for their worship service. They must be right. And folks, that's not the case. Even though many follow them, it doesn't change what they're teaching is still wrong. The next thing, verse number three, and this will be sub point four on your paper. They are selfish, selfish. In verse three, the Bible says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, those are fake words, with feigned words make merchandise of you. You're the merchandise. They're using you just to get fame and fortune. They want the big following so that they can sell more books, sell more tickets to come to their event. And this is actually happening now where certain Christian events, you have to buy a ticket to get in. Can you imagine Jesus selling tickets? The Apostle Paul selling tickets? Paul said it like this in Galatians 4. They, talking about false teachers, they zealously affect you, but not well. It means they get you all excited, but not for a good cause. Yea, they would exclude you that ye may affect them. He said the reason they're getting you all excited and they're building a big following is so that they can profit from your excitement. So they can advertise it to others and say, look at how big my following is. They get the fame and fortune. So they're selfish. If I can bring you down a few verses, verse 10. And we will come back to the verses I'm jumping over in just a moment. 
In verse number 10, we find the next thing on the list. And there's several things here. These will overlap a little bit. The first thing is sinful, sinful. In verse 10, it says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They walk after the flesh. It, the same thing about being sinful, and guys, it's very easy. They're full of sin, right? And they have no intention of stopping it. They are not walking after the Holy Spirit. They might be talking about that, but they're not walking after the Spirit. They're walking after the lust of their flesh. L look at it with me in verse 13. Peter says, They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. To riot is to party, party all day. Do whatever you feel like doing all day. Keep reading. It says, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. Now, to sport yourself means to play around with it. They take it lightly. To them, it's no big deal. It's just a big game to them. Sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Can, can I really pause there for the effect just for a moment where do they do their dirty work in the small group meetings that's the feast he's talking about these feasts of charity that's the biblical word for what we now call a cell group as these Christians would meet in their houses these false teachers and preachers would sneak in privately good words fair speeches and subtly start to introduce their false teachings and their desire was to gain a following and, and trying to introduce, to, trying to make friends with people so that they would have an opportunity to sin with them. Look at the next verse. Having eyes full of adultery. They weren't there to fix their eyes on Jesus Christ. They were there. They went to the cell group meeting for the pretty girls. I understand that's straightforward, but there it stands. That was their intention having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Do you see the problem? They have no intentions of stopping their sinful ways. They are gonna come into the small group. They'll even come into the church and they will introduce teachings that justify their sinful behavior that actually makes their wrong ways seem right. The prophet Isaiah said it like this, they call evil good and good evil. They call light darkness and darkness light. It says in verse 14, continuing, beguiling unstable souls. They're tricking people. They always aim for the Christian who is not well-grounded, who, who lacks stability in the word. Beguiling, tricking unstable souls. This is why we emphasize so strongly that you go through discipleship, that you get a strong biblical foundation in your life. So that when the cars of false doctrine come speeding past you, you don't walk out and get smacked with it. It says at the end of verse 14, And heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They can ruin not only this generation, the maw and the paw, but they can also affect the children. Why? Because the children grow up listening to Uamintani say these things. They see their mom and their dad following these things and the child grows up with this false concept of what Christianity actually is. Extremely dangerous. It must be taken care of before 
it not only affects this generation but the next so they are sinful sinful come back to verse 10 we'll get the next one you have to forgive me what sub point are we on six sub point six seditious seditious s-e-d-i-t-i-o-u-s seditious where do I get that in verse 10 it says chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government despise government they seek to overthrow the authority structure false teachers thrive on chaos so it doesn't really matter what the authority structure is right that word government any authority structure government to citizen right we think of the president and the citizen we you can look at the headmaster of a school and the students you can look at the man in the house and the woman and the children under him you can look at the boss and the employee you can look at the pastor and his church member no matter what the authority structure is these false teachers will do nothing but complain about there being an authority structure why do we got to do what they want to do they're always oppressing us and holding us down and it's non-stop do away with the authority they thrive on chaos until they're in charge <laughs> and then bless God I'm the authority you have to listen <laughs> they do not and, and have you folks noticed that there has been a strong push in the last 20-30 years with this postmodern movement that nobody should be in submission to another person that is not just something you find in secular society. It has crept into the churches as well. They despise government. The next thing, that's seditious. And these will overlap a little bit. The next thing on the list, presumptuous. Here's the word I'm going to use, sassy. <laughs> I had to come up with an S word, sassy, sassy. Presumptuous. What, what do we mean by presumptuous or being sassy? audacious they will do something wrong teach something wrong right in your face and they don't care they don't care watch what I can do watch what I can say <laughs> see I did it just presumptuous how dare you but that's what the, there is one man he had an old lady come forward during the church service she was in bad health she came forward to be healed no matter how many times people prayed for her, she wouldn't get healed. He says that the Holy Spirit told him to kick her in the face and that would bring about the healing. So he hauled off and kicked her in the face. That, in my opinion, that's a little beyond sassy. That's presumptuous to think that, yeah, I can do anything I want. I can kick somebody in the face and if I do it in Jesus' name, it's okay. <laughs> Kicking somebody in the face is never okay. <laughs> that's presumptuous the next thing the next thing they are it says self-willed presumptuous are they self-willed you can use self-willed but I'm going to give you the word stubborn stubborn they're arrogant they cannot be taught they cannot be led they have no final authority except for their own feelings I think that it's right. I feel that it's right. Therefore, it's right. No one can tell me what to do. They will not submit to anything, even the authority of the Bible. And you'll find this. If you try to minister to others, you can show them a verse that clearly shows that they're wrong and they will say, I don't care. I still feel that it's right. 
self-willed. They're just stubborn. You'll show them a verse and they say, yeah, but that's not how I was raised. But there it stands. I don't care. I know how I was raised. I know what I feel. I know my, my relationship with God. I got my way. Well, what can you say to that? The next thing. They are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, this will work with the sedition, right? They don't like the authority structure. Now, they, they're speaking evil of those in authority. So it's not just the authority structure, but the individuals in those positions. Uh, to speak evil, again, you could use that, those words, or sow discord. They like to sow discord. What does it mean to speak evil of dignities? they will cut down those in positions of authority. Usually, and I, I want to say almost always, they'll do it behind their backs. Sometimes it's slander, right? Sometimes they make things up that aren't true about that leader. But other times, it's a whisper campaign. You quietly go to somebody else, you say, hey, yeah, hey, do you hear this? Yeah. He's such a bad guy. And all this, you, you just start that little quiet whisper campaign. Yeah, this is wrong and that's not right. How dare he this? And, and you start to spread. Maybe it's just your own opinion. And listen, you're welcome to your own opinion. But if you have a problem with the pastor, you talk to the pastor. You don't sow discord among the brethren and thereby turn their hearts away from this authority structure and the person in authority. And that's not just for the pastor. That works in the home. That works in the workplace. It works at your school. It works everywhere in society. It goes a step beyond, however, just a man to a man. Look what happens in the rest of the passage. Verse 11. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, that is, angels have a higher rank than humanity. And they do, don't they? I mean, God made them higher than us. Angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. An angel will not even stand before God and go, God, look how bad he is. Look at all these bad things he's doing. That's the job of the accuser. The word devil means accuser. He accuses the brethren day and night, the Bible says. What you find is interesting in the book of Jude. If you take the book of Jude and lay it on top of 2 Peter 2, it, it's, like a, it's like a perfect overlay. Those two chapters work perfectly together. In verse 12, this will go with something Jude said. Let's read verse 12 together. But these as natural brute beasts, so they're acting based on their animal passions, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of those things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They're just destroying themselves when they do these things. But notice they speak evil of things that they understand not. In the book of Jude, it says that Michael one day disputed with Satan about the body of Moses. How many of you remember that verse? Remember that? Remember what it says there that Michael did not dare bring a railing accusation against Satan, but rather said, the Lord rebuke thee. Think about this just for a moment. How can you say enough bad things about the devil? In our minds, wouldn't it be right to say, you can say any bad thing you want about the devil. He's that bad. 
Michael didn't do that. Michael said, you know what? I don't have the authority to sit here and rail on you to just complain and talk about how bad you are. I'm gonna let the Lord do that. He has the authority to actually shut you down and put you in your place. That's not my job. So I would rather just say the Lord rebuke thee. And yet we find many people today speaking evil of things that they understand not. They are commenting on spiritual things and how the spiritual world works, but they don't understand how the spiritual world works. They say that the devil did this and the devil did that. The devil's standing back going, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I was nowhere near there. People say, I rebuke the devil. The Bible says we're supposed to resist him. Say, but Jesus did it. Are you Jesus? (laughs) That's where you say, the Lord rebuke thee. We have been given instructions on how to handle the spiritual realm. We put on the whole armor of God. But we don't stand up to the devil and go, come on, devil. Come on, you mean God. Come on. And we, we don't rail on him. We'll talk later about how we are to deal with that. But you hear this a lot. And I, I've got to point it out. We're talking about false teachers. But this idea of if you have a certain symbol, you know, a shape in your house, then you're bringing a curse on your house. If you wear a certain style of clothing, then you're bringing a curse into your life. If if you have a certain, uh, if you watch a certain TV program, even cartoons, then your children will grow up and be lost. Listen, you're talking about spiritual things. That's not true. You're intruding into things that you have not seen. You're telling people to be afraid of spiritual things that aren't even a danger. And in so doing, I, I would dare say you're not, you're not giving people truth. You're giving people a Christianized version of witchcraft. That's what's going on. That's very dangerous. Let's get the next thing. Come with me, if you would, to verse 15. The next word in the list, synthesize. Synthesize. S-Y-N-T-H-E-S-I-Z-E, synthesize. To synthesize means to combine a number of things into a whole. Now, let me show you why I give that term. Verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice for bad the madness of the prophet. What is the way of Balaam? I don't know if you're familiar with that story from Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24. Balaam, by the end of that story, what he did is he took the Moabite people, the heathen, and he mixed them with the people of Israel, God's people. And he wanted Israel to learn the ways of the heathen, making them one corrupt people. He synthesized them. He took two things and combined them. Do you know what's going on with the church these days? Let's just all get along. And the ways of the world, the ways of the heathen are being brought into the church. And there's hardly a line now between the world and the church. The whole idea is to make the church so much like the world that the world feels comfortable in the church. 
They have been synthesized. Now, what was the madness of the prophet in verse 16? As the story goes, the king of Moab, Balak, he sent messengers to Balaam, said, come, curse me, the children of Israel. Balaam went to God and said, God, can I curse the people? God said, no, you can't curse them. I've blessed them. And then the messengers came back and said, no, no, King Balak says, you have to come with us and we will pay you a lot of money. We will make you rich and famous. And Balaam said, all right, let me ask God. God, can I go with him? God said, tomorrow morning, if you wake up and those men come and say, come on, Balaam, let's go. If they invite you again, you can go with them. So the next morning, Balaam woke up and immediately got dressed and went with those men. He did not wait for the messengers to come back. He went directly against God's command. Why? Well, it was an opportunity to get rich and famous. And he completely disregarded what God said. He just didn't want to miss out on this opportunity to be accepted by these Moabites. You want a surefire way to get it wrong. Just ignore what God says. So I know that's what it says. I know he told me to do it this way, but if I do it that way, I'll never get ahead in life. Let me cut corners and just do what I think is best. I'll run with this and that crowd. And you become unequally yoked with unbelievers and light has fellowship with darkness. And all of a sudden you get into this synthetic Christianity, this fake Christianity. The next thing on the list, verse 17, superficial. Oh, I've been waiting all week. God help me. Here comes the Afrikaans. Operflakech. Did I get it right? Is that right? Superficial. Operflakech. Verse 17. These are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the midst the mist of darkness is reserved forever. They are superficial. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 12, it takes it a step further and says they are clouds with no water. What is it? It looks right on the outside. It's a well, but there's nothing inside. It's hollow. It's empty. I think you might say there's thunder, but no lightning. The reason I say that is because they came to Elijah and said, come with us, man of God. He said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down. There was some substance to his preaching. <laughs> when, you, when you sat under his ministry, you literally got hit by it. <laughs> there was some substance to it. These preachers that we're reading about, there is no stability. They, like the clouds, like on a day like today, they are blown about with every wind of doctrine. Whatever is popular, that's what they're going to talk about. That's what they're going to preach about. They, they will let society dictate what's right and what's not. There's no stability. Can I ask you to maybe jot this verse down in the side notes of your outline or in your Bible? Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14. Proverbs 25, 14. Let me read that verse to you. It says, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Did you hear what I said there? Think about the emphasis that you find in a lot of churches. What do you hear in every sermon and in every small group meeting? What's it about? What gifts do you have? Gifts, gifts, gifts. Today we're going to have a lesson on gifts, 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 gifts. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Watch out for a superficial 
Christianity. Guys, walking in the Spirit has nothing to do with counting your gifts. That's not the same thing. And then the last, the last thing on our list, we should be on number 12, am I right? Seductive. Seductive. Verse 18. Seductive. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity. What are great swelling words? They are going to tell you not only what you want to hear, but even more. They're going to tell you how great you are. They are going to make you think that you personally are the center of the universe. They are going to puff you up. For when they, with great swelling words of vanity, they allure, there's the seductive, see? They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. What is that? That's an, an illicit sexual desire. That is a, des a strong desire for anything unclean. They, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in air. Who are they targeting? People that have just come out of a sinful lifestyle. They've just overcome these things. These guys show up and start telling these new Christians how great they are. Oh, you're wonderful. We love you so much. And listen, listen, you don't need to change. You're perfect just the way God made you. You need to accept who you truly are. Accept it because God made you that way. Specifically in the days that Peter wrote this, here's what they were teaching. Listen to what they taught and see how it might apply today. In Jude, you find that these, these men crept in unawares and they changed the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is all sorts of sinful lust. They would say... That God is so gracious, even if you do wrong, God's not going to be angry. God's grace will cover it all. God would never be angry with you. Listen, God would never judge you because judging is wrong and God's not wrong. So where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So therefore, no matter how many sins you do, it's okay. That's how they were twisting the grace of God back in those days. How does it sound now? God is love. God is forgiving. God is merciful. He's kind. He would never condemn you. He would never judge you because he's your friend and will unconditionally love you no matter what you ever do. God made you that way. God made you the way that you are right now. You don't need to change. God made you this way, so therefore you need to just accept it. You're perfect as you are. Let me, get, let me read you a, a verse. This is a South African man who retranslated the Bible and is starting to gain a, a, quite a following in this country. He has a teaching now that says Jesus, when, when he was on the earth, he was a mirror image of you. That what you see in Jesus was actually a, a replication of you, that, that you are perfect just like Jesus was perfect. Listen to this verse. See if you recognize this verse from the Bible. The entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his Son is for humanity to realize their origin in him who mirrors their authentic birth, begotten not of flesh but of the Father. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. 
I don't know if you can appreciate how dangerous that is. He says you don't ever need to feel lost. No need for anyone to ever say, I'm lost, I need to be saved. This same man says there's no need. Forgiveness is, is not, I've done something wrong, now God needs to forgive me. Forgiveness is you realizing, wait a minute, I've never accepted how perfect I am. So repentance is just accepting the perfection you already have. He calls it accepting your I amness. I read that, what I just quoted, that was a verse from the Bible. How many of you want to take a stab at which verse that was? Exodus. Wow, no. <laughs> Thank you for playing, though. But any, anybody else have a guess as to what verse that was? I just read you John chapter 3, verse 16. Notice in verse number nine, in, in verse uh, 19, we're continuing on with this seductive nature of false teachers. While they promise them liberty. They promise them liberty. But look at the next part. They themselves are the servants of corruption. While they are promising liberty, they are serving their own corruption. How is that so? I'm going to tell you what you want to hear and give you all these wonderfully big inflated promises because the more great swelling words... The more promises you have, the more you'll follow me, the more you'll give, the more money I'll make, the more fame I'll have, the more followers I get. So I'm going to keep telling you what you want to hear and making these false promises so that you accomplish my goal, making me rich, happy, wealthy, so forth. They promise them liberty. How does this work out in, in the world today? Well, they, think, they say things like this. How many of you have heard this word before? Come get your breakthrough. You know, the size of your breakthrough is always tantamount to the size of your offering. <laughs> a bigger blessing comes with a bigger offering, right? If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. I can do it too. <laughs> you just need to plant a bigger seed of faith if you want a larger crop. See, come get your breakthrough. We'll break all your bondages. I watched one person this week. She had a large crowd, thousands of people in front of her, and she stood on the stage and she said, God has told me that somebody here today is struggling with bondage. Isn't that obvious? We, we don't need any revelation from God for that. Obviously, somebody's struggling with that, right? Because that's part of being human. She said, I am going to give you the breakthrough you've been waiting for. Pray with me. And they begin to repeat a prayer. And she said, now, you have been released. That's not how it works. Listen, deliverance is a biblical thing. You can be saved from a bad habit. You can be saved from hell. You can be saved in many ways. But this thing of here, let me just come and repeat a prayer with you and... Uh, bondage is done breakthrough no that's not how that works we have plenty of exceeding great and precious promises you don't need to make more up you don't need to put words in God's mouth that he didn't say she went on to say anytime now you feel this bondage coming back just repeat the name Jesus and the bondage will flee that's witchcraft that's witchcraft that's repeating a mantra 
Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's not how the name was meant to be, work, uh, to be used. Just repeat the name. No, no. To do something in Jesus' name goes much deeper than that. Something I hear some Christians say, and I, I must caution you, just put it under the blood. I got this and this, but I'm struggling with debt. Well, just put it under the blood. Uh, the blood of Jesus doesn't pay your rent. It doesn't. Where in the Bible does it say if you just put it under the blood, you get more money in your bank account? That's a false teaching. Listen, the, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood, but not to pay your rent. <laughs> Be careful that you understand how the blood of Christ works. Some say, well, just get some oil and anoint it. Right? Just throw oil on it. That's wonderful for a salad, but it won't work for, it won't work for every problem in your spiritual life. It won't. Biblically, you need to know what the oil was used for. It had nothing to do with bringing a special blessing upon a piece of ground or your life. They say, just repeat this prayer of Jabez, Yabez, you know. It, it worked for Jabez, but nothing says that if you repeat that prayer, it's going to work for you. This is one I think you should very much be careful of. Just speak life. Just speak life. You have a problem, just speak life over it. Um, they say, well, there's power in the tongue, right? The power of life and death is in the tongue. Yes, absolutely. Proverbs 18 says that that's so. But don't turn it into witchcraft and say, well, I can just speak life over it and boom, all of a sudden it becomes alive. Do you know where that doctrine started? Let me give you the roots of it. And actually all 12 things on the list go right back to Genesis chapter 3. All of them go right back to Genesis chapter 3. The first false preacher there was slithered into the garden and said, Eve, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She said, well, God told us not to eat of it or touch it. And what did the devil say? Eve had said, the day we eat thereof, the day we touch it, we'll, we'll die. And the devil said, ye shall not surely die. You'll not die. He spoke life. God spoke death and said, you're surely going to die. <laughs> and the devil came in and said, oh, Eve, come on, just speak life over it. You're not going to die. Matter of fact, the one in authority, he's just holding you back. Sedition. He's just holding you back. He knows the day you eat of it, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. You can do whatever you want. There are no consequences for your sin. You see where it all started? This is why we need to be careful that we know the promises that we have in Christ. They are all yea and amen. And we need to watch out when a serpent slithers into our garden. We need to be able to recognize it and take the proper stand. There's more to this chapter. Please help me to finish it now. Let's go back to verse number one. We'll, we're on point two of the outline. Point two, destruction to be feared. We've talked about the description of a false prophet. Now, destruction to be feared. Three things I'd like to say about that. Number one, it is swift. You can see this at the end of verse one. Bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is when God rises up to punish these people, it's going to be done quickly. God doesn't, he doesn't have to go through the court system. 
where it can take months and months and months and we reschedule your court date when God says enough is enough and puts his foot down, swift destruction. Number two, sub point two to this, it slumbers not. And I'm getting this from verse three. Through covetousness, they with feign words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbers not. Now, you forgive me on this point. I'm going to talk more about this next week. What he's getting at is God is not going to put off their punishment for a long time. God is going to rise up and put an end to this eventually. In Peter's mind, it's going to happen any time now. I'm still saying the same thing. Now, some would say that God is being slack concerning his promise, that he's waiting too long. We'll talk next week about how God looks at the calendar a little differently than we do, but it slumbers not. Eventually, God is going to put his foot down. And then the third thing about this, in verses 20 down to 22, it is severe. It is severe. In just a moment, we'll read those verses. Can I just bring your attention to verse 4 quickly? In verse 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And then he's going to go on and talk about Noah and Lot. Angels, they, they had a higher rank. They have a higher rank than humanity. But when they made a mistake and turned on God and gave up their first estate, came down to the earth... God did not say, oh, because you had a high rank and because you had high esteem, therefore I won't judge you as harshly. High esteem, great power, will not gain you leniency at the judgment. You can't stand before God one day and say, God, but I had a lot of followers and a lot of people liked me. And this was a very popular movement and that's why I followed along with it. That won't help you at the judgment angels who had a very high rank God did not tolerate their nonsense when it came time to punish them he put them down in hell and has reserved them unto judgment he is no respecter of persons now let's move to verse 20 before we read it can I just remind you of something Jesus said when talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees he talked about how they out of pretense it's a lie they make long prayers they devour widows houses he said they shall receive the greater damnation you guys remember that they'll receive the greater damnation their destruction was going to be is going to be severe let's see just how severe it is verse 20 for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. This is admittedly a difficult verse. I'd like to shed a little bit of light on it quickly. What they've done, these false teachers, they took the knowledge of the Lord and Savior and based on what they heard, they said, let me clean up my life. Now, please listen carefully because a lot of people do this, not just false teachers. A lot of well-intentioned people do this. They get excited about hearing the name Jesus. Say, let me try better. Let me fix my life. And they do stop a few bad habits. They start a few good ones. But eventually, because there's nothing really happening inside, it's just their own efforts, their own good intentions, eventually they're going to fall. 
eventually they'll run out of steam. They'll get confused or led astray by a false prophet who comes and says something else about Jesus and gets them excited about it. Now what happens is their end is worse than their beginning. Why? Because they tried what they thought was Christianity. It wasn't. But they thought that it was. And now that they tried it and it didn't work, it cleaned up a few bad habits, but in the end they went right back to their old ways. Even worse, they think Christianity doesn't work. And now not only are they not going to go back to Christianity, they are going to go telling other people Jesus doesn't work. They didn't say that before, but now their end is worse than their beginning. Verse 21, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned again to his own vomit, or, turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Can I just point out the dog and the sow, the pig? They were never born again. They never became new creatures. The dog was still a dog. The pig was still a pig. Can I ask you to hold your place here? Come quickly with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. In order to properly understand what we're reading and how severe this destruction is. I want you to see what happens. When we think of destruction, and, and rightfully so, we think of somebody spending forever in the lake of fire, and that's horrible. But that, the destruction that false teaching can bring on your life, it starts now. It can start right now, ruining your life. Ruining it. Matthew 12, look with me at verse number 43. Matthew 12, verse 43. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Do you see what's happened? The unclean spirit went out. This man, while the unclean spirit was out of him, he cleaned up his life. Do you see it? He's empty, swept, and garnished. He's well decorated now. But he's empty. There's no Holy Spirit in there. Do you see that? He's empty. He tried what he thought was some good religion. Verse 45, what's the end of him? Then goeth he, that unclean spirit, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Do you see what that, how that ties to what Peter said? The, wor the end is worse. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. That generation had religion, no relationship with Christ. If you're in Matthew, would you just come back to chapter 7? Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not enough to simply profess the name. Look what they do in verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? 
and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works they were doing miracles they could manipulate the spiritual realm and look what Jesus says to them in verse 23 then will I profess unto them I what what's the next word what is it never these are not people that got saved and then lost it these are people that were never saved they did not know the Lord but they preached in his name they did miracles in his name they even manipulated the devil they could move spirits from one place to the next but they did not have a personal relationship with Christ they were not born again what happens they tried religion they thought they were doing it the Jesus way turns out they didn't have anything real and that is severe to think that I have a true relationship with God and it doesn't exist come back to Second Peter now let's, be, let's just close our sermon with this last point deliverance point number three on your outline deliverance for the faithful deliverance for the faithful there are three things under that in order to achieve this deliverance number one steadfast steadfast number two stand and then sub point three this is not something you should do but you'll see now where it's in the text slow slow Let's point these out quickly. Verse 5, 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that should after live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished when it speaks about God knows how to deliver them again there's a false teaching that has crept in and that is just come forward let somebody pray for you and miraculously you'll be delivered have somebody lay hands on you, sprinkle a little oil, whatever the case is, boom, all of your confusion will be gone. The devil will run away. Folks, that's not how it works. The Bible clearly tells us that the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And Peter, the same Peter, in 1 Peter 5, verse 9, he says, whom resist steadfast in the faith steadfast in the faith what does that mean I know what I believe and I know why I believe it because the Bible says it you need to be convinced from the word of God that that's right not this is what I feel is right or so and so said it was right have you seen it are you convinced you need to be steadfast in the faith now we have two descriptions two, two examples here Noah and Lot. And I'll just quickly describe their situations. Noah was told by God, very soon the world's going to be destroyed. You know the story, right? Build an ark. What does it say in verse 5 about Noah? He was a preacher of righteousness. He took a stand. He didn't try to make friends with the world, did he? 
He didn't try to blend in. He stood up and preached against their ungodliness. He stood up and said, folks, God is tired of the iniquity in this world. I'm building an ark. If you want redemption, if you want salvation, you can find it in the ark. But outside of that, there is no salvation. There's only one way to be saved from this coming destruction. Get in the ark. He preached. He took a stand. He offered the people a way out. That's one way you can deal with it. That's one way to bring about deliverance, true deliverance. Tell people the truth. Take a stand. You will be the least popular person in your group, (laughs) as Noah was. Which person was Noah? Look at verse 5. Was he the first person? Eighth. Last in line. (laughs) Eighth person. There was only eight saved. He was the eighth. You'll be the bottom of the barrel, but you'll be right. You'll at least be used of God, or you could do what Lot did. The angels came to Lot and said, Lot, God's going to destroy this city. Sodom and Gomorrah's going down. What did Lot do? He went and told his daughters and sons-in-law. They laughed at him. They mocked at him. Lot had lost his testimony because, as you can see in the verse, verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot lived amongst the Sodomites and never rebuked them. He never stood up for what was right. He just lived amongst them. He never said anything against it. Until one night, the angel said, come on now, destruction's coming in the morning. Oh, let me go tell my family. And they laughed at him. (laughs) Lot, come on, man. We know you, Lot. How are you going to be preaching against Sodom and Gomorrah? You've You've been living off of Sodom and Gomorrah for quite some time can't take you seriously you know what happened the next morning the angels come and wake him up they hastened him the bible says they hastened him hurry lot hurry come on hurry come on this is serious you know what lot did you can read it in genesis 19 let me make some coffee can't go anywhere without my coffee you know what the Bible says? It says he lingered. That's, he went slowly. He went reluctantly. The angels said, hurry up. Lot's response was, eh, what's the rush? What's the big deal? This doesn't affect me. He lingered. He was slow to react. So slow And if Abraham hadn't prayed for him, I don't even think this would have happened. The angels grabbed his hand and the hand of his wife. The other angel grabbed the daughters, because there were two daughters that escaped with him, and had to pull them out of the upcoming destruction. And the story ends with Lot and his daughters doing some horrible things to produce some of Israel's worst enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. I fear that there are so many Christians that are going the way of Lot and not the way of Noah. You have an entire chapter warning you of the dangers of false teachers. What do we do about it? Hey, this is serious. It's severe. This destruction's going to happen any day now. The hammer's going to fall. This is a big deal. People are being deceived. The cars are coming by left and right. You've got you to know what the Bible says. And what do Christians do? 
<laughs> it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Listen, this, this was, you know, he gave us a lot of stuff to think about. We'll think about it some other time. What will be done about it? God help you if the preacher has to grab you by the hand and say, come on now, let's do something. If the Holy Spirit has to shake you to wake you up and say, hey man, stop lingering. Say, preacher, what do I do about it? You know what Peter emphasized in chapter 1? He says, take heed unto the light of the Scripture, right? Take heed unto this light. In 2 Peter 3, that's where Peter's going to end again. He's going to say, be careful not to twist the Scriptures to your own destruction. He goes, right, Scripture, Scripture. Watch this. What do you do when you're stepping into heavy traffic? You look left, you look right. And because there's a lot of traffic, you know what you do? You look left again. You look right again. Look, look, watch. watch. Everybody watch. Everybody watch. Look left and then look right. And then just because there's a lot of traffic, we got YouTube, you got Facebook, a lot of traffic. I'm going to look left. I'm going to look right. And then zoom, somebody passes by again. I'm going to look left. And I'm going to look right. There is a way for God to deliver the faithful. And you're going to have to take heed to what the Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved. It can protect you from all the deceptions and the falsehood. I want to ask you in closing, this frightening reality that we face with false prophets, which one are you, Noah or Lot? Which one better represents the posture you've taken towards the corruption in the world? Noah or Lot? Which one are you? Let's all stand, if you would. Have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And we have, we've covered a lot of information this morning. I don't know to what extent it has touched your heart. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. My job is not to speak great swelling words. It's not to make you more comfortable about your sinful condition. But I do want to tell you that there is deliverance. You can have your breakthrough. You can be free from the bondage of sin. But that comes through receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By being born again and then living your life according to the Scriptures. That's going to take diligence. That's going to take effort. Please, friend, do not react like Lot. You hear about the dangers and then shrug it off. Put it off. Well, not my problem. Don't make it so that your other brothers and sisters in Christ have to drag you across the finish line. Take some initiative. Take it as seriously as God does.
perhaps you've heard in this sermon today certain things that the false teachers would say. You thought, man, that's, you know, I've, I've been under the impression those things are right. Maybe these things have affected your Christianity already. Please don't panic or overreact to that. You can just in your heart turn to God and say, God, I, I was wrong about that. Thank you for straightening me out. and Lord, please continue to teach me. I want to learn more about you so that I can help other people who are stepping out into that busy street. You see, the heart of this is to help save people, to deliver them out of those temptations. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to cover this difficult topic. As we've seen this morning, you have a lot to say about it. Lord, my concern, the, the burden of my heart right now is possibly somebody here today is they've, they've cleaned up their life, but there was never a true conversion. There was never a time that Jesus Christ came and lived inside of them. Father, I would so much like for them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Please, Lord, if somebody here is like that, show them how they can get to Christ. Work in that person's heart. Help us to take the way of Noah and stand. Be steadfast. Lord, we don't take lightly this privilege of getting to know you. And we don't want anything to confuse us or distract us. We want to know you in all of your fullness. So we can become more like you. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Father, we thank you for this and ask you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. I do pray that you make it home safely. We do have a service tonight at 6 p.m. by live stream, so be sure to tune in for that.